0: Oh, my God, I'm chilling now. What happened? Oh, my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Part two of the Natalie Holloway series, really. Yeah, it's going to be a four-parter. Yeah, a Um, long (laughs) four-parter. I'd like to apologize in advance. This is Rachel. I swear I have COVID or something. I feel like dog shit, but I'm here. <laughs> so don't worry. Rebecca is going to be telling the story today or uh, filling in for Rach. Rach, you just have to fake it for a couple hours. I know. I know I am. Don't worry. I'll be back at it for parts three and four. Cause that's my part, <clears throat> but sorry, sorry in advance. Quick Patreon shout out, then I'll go into, I'll recap where we left off on the first episode and then get right into it. But first, some Patreon shout outs. Mary, Cynthia, Jen, Amy, Suzanne, Abby, Janelle, Misha. Welcome. Thanks for joining. And a very belated, and I'm so sorry, Brianna. We were supposed to shout her out at the Weepy Voice Killer episode. And I'm so sorry. Somehow it slipped through the cracks. And we are
1: this is long overdue.
0: We are mortified. I'm so sorry. And she gave a custom shout out because remember you third tier $8 tiers, you get a custom shout out, you just message us what you would like us to say. Brianna's as is to her boyfriend's small business, which is so nice. I love shouting out a small business. I do too. He owns and runs a car dealership called Karsten and Moore. That's K A R S T E N and Moore M O O R E. Um, he runs us with his best friend. It's located in Mesa, Arizona. If, if anyone needs a car, go to them. Go to them. I, I Googled them and they have a lot of really good reviews. So y'all are killing it. Y'all are killing it. Okay. You put, I Googled it and, it, and they have a ton of good reviews. I thought that was coming from Brianna. No, I, and I was like, oh. that was my little side note. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So we left off episode one was Beth got a knock on the door at 4 a.m. Um, and it was a Holiday Inn staff member who had pulled the surveillance from the night of May 29th into the early hours of May 30th. And it was discovered that Yuron and Deepak lied. They never dropped Natalie off. There were no security guards helping anyone out of the car that night. Natalie was never seen. And that said, now they all know that the Calpos and Yuron lied. That's where we left off. So meanwhile, in Birmingham, we've started summer school at this point. You can take um, economics, right? Wasn't it economics? Yeah. And you, government. Sorry. You can take government and economics in summer, which is what most rising seniors choose to do. It's from 8 a.m. to noon every day. And I think the final project is a lot easier. I don't, re- I don't remember why people choose to do it, but it's more lax. And every day at 11 a.m., there was a local news break to tell us updates in Aruba. And regardless of the lesson that day, whether we were in the middle of a test or what, we would stop at what we're doing and the teacher would turn it on for us. Then every day after summer school, we would go to this huge white wall called the Wall of Hope, which was set up at a church with Natalie's picture on the front of it. And everyone would write messages to Natalie. And I remember talking to one of her best friends, Hunter, and we were talking about like how the hell she's going to fit this huge wall in her dorm room. We were still so optimistic that she was out there. She was alive, having no idea what shit her family was going through down in Aruba. Um, A lot of that was kept under wraps for years, but uh, we were still so optimistic. You know, it's so weird. I remember that conversation with Hunter and I thought the opposite.
1: I was
0: like, I "I don't think she's going to put this in her dorm room. (gasps) Isn't that sad? I I just remember being like, I, I'm very hopeful, but I also don't want to be naive. Right. And I was like, I, this is really not looking good, especially now that they've lied. It's been, what, days, weeks, a week, two weeks. I'm like, this is not good. No, I knew it wasn't good. I think I was, I was probably more naive or maybe just lying to myself. Who knows? Yeah. It was just so unreal unheard of it's just it's all such a mind fuck back then i know i was hopeful until the amsterdam sting operation which we'll get to in a later episode but then restored hope when i heard about amy bradley's story oh my god y'all do y'all know this story i think some of y'all do because some yeah. people tagged us in a But this came to light, especially after Natalie went missing. I'm going to go into just a quick background of the Amy Bradley case. Again, this is Rachel. I have a sore throat. If I sound funny, sorry. In 1998, 23-year-old Amy Lynn Bradley, who was from Chesterfield County, Virginia, had just graduated college from Longwood University and was about to start her first job. On March 21st, 1998, she, her parents, Ron and Eva, and her younger brother, brad boarded a royal caribbean cruise headed to curacao to celebrate two days later on march 23rd amy and brad went to a party at the ship's um, nightclub and ended up staying out late drinking dancing and they were hanging out with the ship's band blue orchard no blue orchid i was about to say i bet it's orchid i don't know why brad went back to the cabin around 3 35 a.m and amy came back About five minutes later, all of that was confirmed by their keypad or their keys, like the computerized door lock system. Brad said he and Amy sat on the balcony and talked before they went to sleep. Their dad, Ron, woke up for like a second between 5.15 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. and saw Amy sleeping on the lounge chair on the balcony. He woke up again at 6 a.m. and she was gone. And so were her, her cigarettes and her lighter. He said it was very unlike her not to tell anyone where she was going. So Ron let Brad and Eva sleep, and he went to go look for her. He looked in all the common areas, nothing, couldn't find her. So at 6.30, he woke up Brad and Eva to tell them that he had no idea where she was, and they immediately reported it to the crew. The Bradleys begged them to make a ship-wide announcement and to keep all their 2,000 passengers on the ship until Amy was found. The crew refused and said it was way too early to make an announcement like that, which is... Amir, Amy Bradley, please come to the desk or whatever, right. you know, what you would right. do if you're lost in a grocery store. Right. It's like, it's just do that. Right. Oh, I understand. Anyway. Finally, at 7.50 a.m., most of the passengers had gotten off the ship and then they made a announcement asking Amy to make her way towards the purser's desk. Like exactly what they wanted. God. With no, no one there to listen. Right. After no response, the crew's staff searched the ship between 12.15 p.m. and 1 p.m. Like they waited that long to start oh, like God. really looking. They got a lot of flack for their slow response. And for oh, 45 minutes, how big is this ship? I know. Royal Caribbean. It's big. Yeah. After official authorities were notified of Amy's disappearance, the Netherlands and Tilly's Coast Guard launched a four-day search, which concluded on March 27th. They didn't find anything, but decided that Amy had either committed suicide or fallen overboard. However, it was known that she was a very strong swimmer and there was no evidence of any of this. They were just like, she disappeared. She fell over. There's very little information to go off of, but on the morning, Amy went missing two passengers told Ron that he they saw a woman matching Amy's description in the elevator. She was holding cigarettes and a lighter. Beyond that, Amy was notably seen with a blue orchid band member, Alistair Douglas, AKA yellow stupid nickname (laughs) (laughs) that's a color (laughs) it's not a name (laughs) so she was with him that during the party when she and brad stayed out a videographer captured them dancing together but yellow claims to have left the party at 1am amy has never been found but there have been multiple sightings of her multiple leading to a belief that on that fateful morning amy was taken to be sold into human trafficking here are the sightings. Later in 1998, a cab driver said that a woman matching Amy's description approached him with an urgent request to use a, to use a phone, but this sighting was never verified. Sorry. And she went missing in 90? 90... Uh, March 97, I mean 98. Oh, okay. So, so later this later that year. A, a few months later, yeah. In August 1998, a Canadian tourist claimed to see Amy walk, walking with two men on a curacao beach, Amy was desperately trying to get his attention, and he was certain it was her because of her tattoos, which were very distinct. She had a Tasmanian devil spinning a basketball on her shoulder. She had the sun on her lower back, a Chinese symbol on her right ankle, and a gecko lizard around her navel. He said he was two feet away from her. He was absolutely certain this was Amy, but he lost sight of her at a cafe. In 1999, a member of the U.S. Navy reported that a woman in a brothel claimed to be Amy and asked for help. She allegedly told him that she was being held against her will, but he didn't report it because he would have gotten in trouble with the Navy being at a brothel. So he waited until he retired and reported it. But again, there was no evidence. It was just like, I promise this happened. During the fall of 1999, the Bradleys received an email from Frank Jones, an alleged Navy SEAL. He told the family that he'd seen Amy being held hostage by Colombian personnel in a housing complex. And as a former U.S. Army special officer, he and his team could launch a rescue. He even described he even verified the claims by describing Amy's tattoos and singing the lullaby that she said her mother used to sing her, and it, and oh, it was I it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Over the next couple of months, they like were feeding the family updates of how Amy was doing. This was all like a operation, and the Bradleys funded them two hundred and ten thousand dollars to get the mission underway once the rest what the day of the rescue the family waited by the phone no call ever came in it was all in a huge scam (gasps) and in 2002 he was sentenced to five years in prison for fraud this one to me for some reason was it well two things are it no that too in 2005 a woman i don't know why all of them are really legit in 2005, a woman named Judy said she spotted Amy in a Barbados department store bathroom. She said Amy walked in and was being followed by three men threatening her, threatening her to follow through with the deal. I don't know, what, you know, she didn't know what that meant, obviously. After the men left, she was distraught, told the woman, told Judy her name was Amy. She was from Virginia. The men came back in and took her away again. Judy reported this to the authorities and helped them create a composite sketch of the men and women. In November 2005, Amy's parents went on Dr. Phil and brought a picture that had been emailed to them of a distraught and despondent young woman resembling Amy, which suggested she was sold into sex slavery. When y'all see this picture, it is so it, insane. It's her. It's her. She's positioned in a way where you can't see any of her tattoos. Yeah. You can't see it's anything. It's so crazy. It's insane. And the pictures were found somewhere on the internet by an organization dedicated to tracking down victims of sex trafficking. It, and the picture, she's described as a sex worker named Jazz. And it, I mean, it's just haunting. It looks a lot like Amy. Wait, so she never got off in Aruba? Like, got off the ship in Aruba? I thought that this... No. Oh. She was taken from the ship hmm Okay. Some believe that the cruise staff or the Blue Orchid band members sold her into human trafficking. Yellow, who had been seen with Amy, gave a story to the authorities that did not match CCTV and, like, what CCTV captured. People also suspected a waiter on the ship who allegedly approached the Bradley family multiple times asking them to pass a note to Amy, inviting her to get drinks. And they're like, back off. Get out of here. The professional photographer on the cruise ship printed out a bunch of pictures. So people could come and take them and buy them. The way I envision it, they're like laid out on a table. And you can just like come and be like, I want these two, these two and you just buy them from them. So the Bradleys went to go look and there was not one picture of Amy, there was a picture of everyone, not one of Amy. So that led them to believe someone else had been there first and taken Mm -hmm. all of them, which gives me the willies. Yeah, we'll get to this in Natalie's episode. But when a jawbone washed ashore in Aruba in 2010, authorities initially thought it was Natalie's, but when they determined that it was not, they didn't test it for any of the other non-Caribbean vacationers who are still missing, including Amy. They just... Yeah, that's so funny you mentioned that. That's what starts the uh, other sting operation against John Ludwig. Again, yeah. we'll get into all that. And to March 2010, 12 years after her disappearance, she is declared legally dead. With no verified witnesses or no remains found, the truth is still very unknown, and currently the FBI is offering up a $25,000 reward for any information that could lead to the closure of Amy's case, and the Bradley family offers $50,000 for her location and $250,000 for her safe return. Oh. So that's that, the story. Yeah, that was a big, long um, sad story. I, Sorry, I know-, I know. No, did I you- like it. No, I like it. I just didn't know you were gonna go in that much detail. You would have been laughed at my recap of it had you not been well enough to give it. I know, sorry. No, I love it. That did restore my hope because she is, was definitely was or still is alive in my mind. Because so I'm like, that picture is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. We'll post it, yeah. So that, I know that was like kind of a long, <laughs> sad story, but that did restore my hope. Mm -hmm. When they were on, because I remember that Dr. Phil. Me too. um, But yeah, I remember that summer, 2005 of like at the wall of hope and stuff and being like, I know it's good to have hope, but I'm like, this is really bad. Yeah. And it just got so crazy with like going into the school year, our senior year now, like media was everywhere her poor brother, Matt was like having to sneak out the back. Like we would be sitting in what we called the mall. It's like just a big lobby Students in our high school. Section, yeah. Just, yeah. Just a student section in the high school. Where if you had free period, you just like went out there and socialized and like news vans would pull up and he would bolt out the back. Right. So, and like the first day of school when the principal, like, we're just going through everything. And he goes, now I want to talk about Natalie Holloway. And I was either sitting next to Matt or he was a couple of people down and he like, my stomach dropped. Yeah. And he got up and walked out of the room, like, oh, I was oh. Like, this is so sad. Right. Just like surreal. I know that's crazy. It was really, it was a crazy time. And we're going to say that probably a million times in this series, but, um, it was, so. There you go. There you go. At this point in the investigation, Beth is at a complete loss, knowing something terrible has happened to her daughter and this little shit and his friends are the only ones who know what it is. She doesn't know what to do and she feels like she's starting to break. She hasn't slept, eaten, showered, or even changed clothes since leaving Arkansas and says that at this point she needs serious help. Before dawn the next morning, she wanders outside of the hotel and gets a cab and tells the driver to take her to a church. She just needs an outlet. He takes her to this random ass road and she sees several white crosses going up a hill leading to a chapel. She gets out, falls to the first one, yelling for God to give Natalie back. She goes to the next one, does the same thing, just yelling for help. And by the fifth cross, she says she's so overwhelmed with peace. It's like a blanket. And it's at this point she knows that Natalie's with God. Oh, my God. I know. She's still going to fight like hell, hoping that she's wrong. She continues on to each cross until she gets to the chapel. And then the cab driver comes in and prays with her. Uh (laughs) God. A Reuben cab driver's time and time again. Time and time again, you prove your angelic selves. Oh my God! They light a candle for Natalie. Then he goes back to his cab and waits. She gets back to the hotel where it's barely sunrise, and the crew is waiting. Her Birmingham crew is waiting on the on her in the lobby, ready to have another draining day. And she's feeling a little bit more revived and ready to take on this inevitable shitstorm. Dave, Natalie's father. Arranged for a huge land search, including Aruba Search and Rescue, the Aruban Red Cross, members of International Friends of Aruba, Aruba Child Protective Services, and other volunteers who took the day off to help. Meanwhile, everyone in Birmingham has put up yellow ribbons to show support. And I mean, everywhere. Everyone. Every single business, school, mailbox, flagpole, a yellow ribbon is even in our um, school IDs for our senior year. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. So now they're popping up all over Aruba too. Most rising freshmen move to their college towns a little early, especially that class Mountain Brook seniors of 2005, because most of them went to university of Alabama and Tuscaloosa is like an hour, less than an hour from Birmingham. But all of Natalie's friends stay in Birmingham. They stay together, waiting for her to come home and by no means go out. Not once did they go out. It was a summer you don't expect before your freshman year. It was only a oh. month before this that they were like talking about what sorority they wanted to be in. And now they're talking about sex trafficking and setting up interviews with the FBI. And in some cases being publicly blamed for not physically pulling her out of Euron's car. But this is what gets me because it's important to remember he lied to them. To them, he was an attractive tourist who played poker with their guy friends all week and was staying at the Holiday Inn. So getting in a car with what looked like a cab, some cabs in Aruba are gray sedans. Mm-hmm does not strike me as incredibly stupid, even now. Natalie catches a lot of shit and it pisses me off so bad because how often we've heard like, well, she got in a car with a guy she didn't know while wasted, what do you expect? What did she expect? Um, A hangover probably. (sighs) Like, right. And not not just saying this because of the circumstances, she was like such a good girl. The one time she lets loose, Mm -hmm. she- has earned it. She's worked really hard. And the absolute worst possible thing happens. It's really unfair. I did a lot of stupid shit. Oh, my even God. after this. Yeah. It, Natalie didn't even have a cautionary tale like this to prevent her from doing it. I did. And I, I still have yeah. accepted a drink from a stranger. Gotten. We've all gotten in a car with a stranger. And oh it's like one of those things like if you get home safe, it's barely an afterthought. But if you're a victim of a crime, you're an idiot who should have known better. Yeah. It's ridiculous. No, it's so dumb. So at this point, every media outlet is camped outside the Holiday Inn. Beth holds a press conference broadcasting a plea to Aruba to invite FBI to assist. Of course, the protocol is that Aruba has to invite or ask them to come. And to their surprise, Aruba actually gets on TV and agrees to bring them down to the island. And legal attache, Doug Shipley, is on the next flight out. With the more media attention it got, the more people wanted to help us airways agrees to lock in the lowest fare for people flying to Aruba to help search for Natalie, Delta flight attendants start offering their buddy passes to people. Special customer service representatives were assigned to assist anyone wanting to fly down there. I mean, this type of camaraderie, I just love it. I love it. Oh my God. Yeah. Every day in Aruba, the family has a daily briefing with the FBI in what is called the 007 room. Then they report back to all the volunteers what they've learned, tips, and prepare for media interviews, all that. This is their new routine. Beth wants to say yes to every interview because she's so grateful for the support, but trying to oblige is out of control and she can't handle it. Not to mention, Aruban authorities are not happy with the attention, obviously. Right. It's midsummer, huge vacation and tourist season. And I'm sure it's impacting them significantly. But at the same time, media puts pressure on police. This is the mm-hmm. case for everywhere. U.S. too. So it's yeah. definitely in Natalie's best interest to have them there. And maybe the VanderSloot's pull on the island will be overpowered. Yeah. That's doing all the morning shows to all the evening shows. And by the time she's done with Greta Van Sustra, Nancy Grace, Larry King, Hannity and Combs, the reward has jumped from 10000 to 50000 and Natalie's family is overwhelmed with support. It keeps them going both financially and mentally. Aruban authorities are also being interviewed and offering their support and making promises like they're doing everything they can. And of course, this made Beth look really bad because she is flat out at this point. She's not getting much help, and a lot of people from the U.S. too felt terrible that Aruban authorities were getting dragged through the mud because they didn't have as many quote resources. But to say that they're doing everything they can is a huge. Straight, <laughs> at, dare I say lie? Flat out lie. Yeah. And the most crucial hours of the investigation, they didn't do a damn thing. And if resources were their problem, all they needed to do was invite the FBI and their equipment, and they wouldn't do it. Even after the public plea saying that they will invite the FBI to the island, they actually don't, which you'll see in a little bit. There's one high level government official being interviewed early on, and I think he's on a balcony. The, the ocean's behind him. If you want to look it up, it's. I remember it being very early on. It may have been on CNN. And he's talking about how close he's working with Natalie's family and he's making sure Beth is available to the media. And Beth is sitting there watching it, thinking she has never met this man in his life. In oh life. my God. She's never even seen this guy. It's just like infuriating things like that. It's like, mm-mm. yeah. Don't believe no. everything. But Aruban locals are pissed. Not at Beth. They want the attention turned on der Vandersloot, the decline of. Tourism impacts them more than anyone else, and they're just as pissed as Dave, Beth, and their families. Mm -hmm. One afternoon, the tip line rings, and it's a police spokesman who just say, we have a girl, we think it's Natalie, meet at the police station. God. Jug is out doing ground searches and gets the same tip from a newspaper reporter, so everyone drops what they're doing and hauls ass to the police station. Beth gets in a cab. This is the only cab driver in the story we're not going to like. Oh, no. Beth gets in a cab and the driver is fucking with her. He's going the wrong way. He won't press the gas. He's at dunk. He doesn't understand what she's saying. And Aruba is not a big Allen. If you live there, you know where the police station is. Yeah. So I can't think but to help. He's just being a dick. Beth has been to the station a million times at this point and knows exactly how to get there. So she's giving him turn by turn re- directions and he will not follow them. He keeps telling her in some stoner way, relax, don't worry. And she's <sighs> screaming, begging, crying for him to hurry. He's not doing it. So she reaches down, she reaches her hand down to the floorboard and presses the gas with her hand. What? She, she said something is so sinister about this cabbie. I don't know if she's right. And this guy's just a piece of shit or he's been messing with her or is it extreme case of island time? But I'd lose my damn mind. I, I have my own problems with the island time. Oh, wow. Tell me more. Well, I just, yeah, I get it, but I find it self-important and inconsiderate. Oh, I think it opens the door for someone to tell me to chill out and relax. And that will send me over the edge. Oh, especially when I'm looking for my missing daughter. Right. But in, in any s- scenario, hell hath no fury, like a woman being told to calm down. <laughs> I just find it rude. It's annoying. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm too impatient. Totally. I get to plan a wedding and Oh St. John <laughs> right. t- and talk to me about Alan Tom. <laughs> Rach right, got married in St. John. It was the best. It was the best, but yeah, I bet that They're wedding like, planning was lax. <laughs> oh my God, it was so lax. I was like, everyone's going to show up, right? The band was like, why do you want to give us a deposit? I was like, because I need to make sure y'all show up. They're like, why wouldn't we show up? I was like, I- because I haven't paid you. I don't know. <laughs> Just let me pay you, please sign this contract. They're like, we're not the, an email. This email is the contract. I was like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> they showed Everyone, up. They did show up. They killed it. Everyone killed it. But it Look, was... I rock on a vacation. I could do it for a week, but my God, I get so impatient. I'm like, will you just open was... my damn beer? <laughs> especially, no, especially when looking for your oh, daughter. I, I can't. Yeah. I'd Infuriated. Yeah. So she physically put her hand on the gas. I just... Get out of here. So anyway, they finally get there. They see crowds and crowds of people. people They're obviously the last ones there, but she's so hopeful and gets this like, holy shit feeling that this is it. She's about to hug Natalie hold her, and take her <sighs> home. Police have a picture of Natalie. So she's thinking, surely they know it's her. The detectives only let Beth and Jug inside. I'm not sure where Dave is at this point. They get in and they wait, constantly waiting in this godforsaken place. But 30 minutes pass. Then another, and Detective Jacobs finally opens the door and brings out a girl who appears to be American, completely strung out of her mind. Her head is bobbing. Her eyes are very glossy. She does have brown hair, but Beth overlooks that and goes straight to her face. Obviously, it's not Natalie. But that makes, like, who is that girl? Oh, my God. She's probably in trouble, too. Right. At this point, that second win that Beth got and that go, go, go energy is completely depleted. Her and Jug don't even say bye to each other. They just go their separate ways. And she's feeling so defeated, which I cannot imagine. Yeah. You thought this entire dramatic journey was over and, oh God, to be let down. And this repeatedly happened. There were constant sightings of Natalie and each one they had to react like as if this is it because it may have been. Yeah. So they get their hopes up. They rush, rush, rush. They do everything they can. And it never was her. There's supposedly a body found at the Allegra hotel where police did a room so room by room search, but it was bullsh- a bullshit tip. Nobody. However, a day later, two native Aruban security guards of the Allegra were arrested in connection with Natalie's disappearance. Cops take a ton of potential evidence from their homes. They impound their cars they do everything they should have done to the Euron v- Vandersloot and the Calpos, but haven't yet because they, quote, don't have a search warrant. But apparently it's not hard for them to get a search warrant against these two security guards. Yeah. The locals and Natalie's family are pissed. They know that these guys had nothing to do with it. Euron and Deepak blatantly lied to cops outside the Vandersloot's, Vandersloot's home that first night and said they dropped off Natalie at the Holiday Inn and two security guards helped her inside but we all saw, they all saw the footage. They know that they lied. There was never a drop off. There were never security guards, anything. How they still managed to take Yuron and Deepak's word for it and arrest these two security guards is fucking insane. I remember seeing them like on the news, getting Mm -hmm. arrested or or walking cuffed and Mm -hmm. being like, no, this doesn't feel right. Right. Like who are these? We haven't even heard anything about this, right? What about the sketchy ass people who are actually lying to the police? Let's look back at them, right? Who are these guys? I, I was so like, completely this is random. They got a search warrant immediately for these two, but not for the Kalpos and You're on, yeah. They're at this point. You're on and calpos have not even been labeled persons of interest. Like this yeah. is how absurd this investigation is. Yeah, stupid. Then they get a call, Beth and Natalie's family gets a call from the Wyndham Hotel where Euron and Deepak said that they were playing poker that first night when Beth first saw, like they were trying to race Paulus to the Wyndham, right? Yeah. Yeah. They pulled that security footage. Deepak and Euron never entered the Wyndham. This really irks me because I'm like, what were y'all doing? Yeah. Hiding evidence, moving Natalie's body for all we know. Right. I have so many questions about where they actually were. It's this moment Beth starts writing down every little detail, every word that is said, every action that is taken, everything is written down on a notebook, hence her book. Mm -hmm. FBI has been down there at this point for a few days and they send a victim and assistant specialist to offer guidance and emotional support to the family. Her name's Kathleen and Beth goes and meets her and asks Kathleen how involved the FBI has been. And she says the police have been very forthcoming and kind, but they do not want to share information. So so not forthcoming, Kathleen. All right. So now everyone, the entire group, is keeping their own journals of their own experiences throughout the day, and I don't know why, this is literally the only time I laughed, rereading this book. Beth said her friend, Sue, she caught her friend, Sue, writing down (laughs) that Beth was argumentative and hard to get along with that day. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Sue. There's no room for weakness, either buck up or get (laughs) out. Because I'll tell you something, going to be like this every day. So hold on it's to your fucking hat. It's actually going to get worse. And if you can't take the heat, get the hell out of the kitchen. She used it to talk shit. Oh my God. <laughs> Sue, get out of here. Sue, come on. We don't really? have time for that. Tap in someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Tips continue to roll in, none of which point towards your Hun. There's a bloody mattress they go see, constant calls that someone has Natalie, and panic attacks happen so often that Beth eventually learns to know when they're coming and mentally fend them off. She's no time for panic attacks. Kathleen, the victim assistant specialist, suggests that Beth take a break and goes home for a while, and Beth says, hell no. As more people come to help from Birmingham, the more Xanax and Valium come with them for Beth, but she doesn't take one. She wants to remain alert. 10 days after Natalie was last seen, their prayers are answered and finally arrest Euron Vandersloot, Deepak and Satish Kalpo on suspicion of kidnapping and murder. 10 days to get their story straight, 10 days to destroy evidence, 10 days to be coached by fucking Paulus. Mm -hmm. Euron's apartment at the Vandersloot's home is finally searched, not the whole house, just his little quarters, and Deepak's car is impounded. And while it's a step in the right direction, Aruba has yet to invite the FBI to interrogate them. You have to be invited to do anything. As we all know, FBI has incredible state-of-the-art tools to assist in such cases to help with investigations like this. They're ready to offer anything and everything, but Aruba has to request it, and they don't. And spoiler, they never will. They get all their information from Police Chief Jan van der Straten. so the only thing the FBI can do is prepare and put things in place in the event that they're allowed to participate. That night in the 007 room, Doug Shipley with the FBI tells Beth... That what he's learned that day is that you and the cowboys are all pointing fingers at each other. And with that, he tells her it's really unlikely that Natalie's alive. That said, it was like a gut punch. It was like a bullet hit her in the stomach and it was in front of a room full of people. While she knew this might be the case, she went, like when she went to the chapel that day, she was very hopeful and thought maybe there was a 50-50 shot. But when the FBI tells you that it's unlikely, it's soul crushing, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's in this moment she decides to take Natalie's story to every high school podium in the United States to do whatever she can to help another family from experience, experiencing this unimaginable pain. Once you're on and Calpo's get arrested, the tip line goes silent. All of a sudden, there are no more sightings of Natalie, no more leads, nothing. Do what you will with that information, but to me, it sounds like they were having people call in fake yeah. leads to send them in the wrong direction. Yeah, Beth and their team are so confident in the FBI's opinion of Nat- on Natalie that they slowly let people back home know that it's not likely that she's alive. This is around the time people were completely split. Do you remember this time? Like, there were a lot of people who thought this the entire time. Yeah. And as I said, I was hopeful until the first sting operation. I thought maybe she was alive somewhere, and I would spend hours on the Internet looking at these people from all over the world, saying that they saw her in a broth- or brothel or they've talked to her. And I really think early on I sent Matt Holloway a website of someone saying they saw her, which is so obnoxious. Like you know yeah. how many internet sleuths there were and how many people were on this case. But me, my little eighteen-year-old self, was like, Matt, Matt, there's an anonymous <laughs> guy on a blog saying he saw Natalie yeah. in some random ass country. You need to drop everything you're doing and focus on this. No, I think we showed it to Nancy and Anola first. That's her. Hey, did mom. we? That's. Yeah, our good friends. I really think family I was Matt. really good friends with Natalie's family. I think we showed them first. And they're like, and maybe they said, then send it to Matt, but I think we showed them first. <laughs> so I swear. Sorry if I did, Matt. Oh, yeah, maybe we did. Um, remember when we found that hotel.com review? We went mm-hmm. back through um, Aruban Hotels, their reviews for, on hotel.com or um, one of the trap yeah travel adv- trip advisor trip, trip advisor sorry and went back to 2005 just to read all the hotel reviews and like someone said one hotel that was under construction had like a horrible smell yeah or something and yeah. we we're like this could be something yeah remember that yeah because there's a um rumor or a report that maybe maybe it was a building next to the holiday and was under construction and she might be in the foundation yeah or something so I went all the way back to that week to make sure there was construction and people were complaining in 2005 of construction next door so I was like oh that might be something and yeah they said but I think there was a review about how bad it smelled but they're like it might be the fish tank that's on top of it or the ocean or like beachy <laughs> yeah. fishy smell or something yeah, yeah I remember that gosh it's so crazy we were, were doing crazy. our own investigation yeah I think everyone was everyone was yeah, everyone was split. And then it was like, well, at this point, would you want to be alive if right. you sold into human trafficking? I was like, no.
1: That's then, when Natalie's
0: like good friends started being like, uh, at this point, I hope she's at peace and yeah, not, not having to go through that. Right. Once the FBI sheds some doubt on her being alive and media frenzy swarms Aruba with reports of murder, Beth is live with Geraldo when he reports that they use luminol in Deepak's car and cut out the seats. That was the first she heard it, live on air. Jossie Sewer, an owner of the local newspaper in Aruba, told Greta Van Susteren on Fox that Euron broke down in an interrogation and confessed to burying Natalie. The prime minister said that they expected this to be solved in a matter of days, and all of a sudden there are headlines that Deepak admitted to raping and killing Natalie. They even confirmed that she was dead in a press conference without a body, just confirmed it, and shortly after retracted all of it. A government spokesperson said they were caught up in misinformation and there was no confessions. It was it's not confirmed she's dead. In fact, there's still hope she's alive. Oh, like it's like the emotional roller coaster and the effects that's resulted from their incompetence is alarming and mm-hmm. it's cruel. are like, yeah. shit together. Yeah. But it does make Birmingham people hopeful again that there's a 50-50 shot she's alive, and Beth and her family decide to hire an, attir- an Aruban attorney to better understand the legal system, because right now it's a shit show, I'll tell you. <laughs> there is no legal system. There is no legal system. Not for the <laughs> VanderSloots, at least. Yeah. They go with Vinda de Salsa, who translates Euron's statements from his arrest on June 9th, where he essentially reiterates what he told the group of men on that very first night. Yeah. The following day, Vinda gets a hold of Euron's questioning and translates it. He's asked about his social habits. He says he's a big drinker. It takes him a case of beer to even get tipsy. Oh, that's badass, man. No, that comes with a big eye roll. I'm like, you just really can't fucking help yourself. the world is his locker room. It really is. It's so pathetic. No one gives a shit. Right. He says when he gets drunk though, he gets tired and sleeps. But when Deepak gets drunk, he gets very aggressive. And then he volunteers mid-statement. Cohen's father has a boat and he's seeing a psychologist and his father told him not to talk on cell phones, direct quote, while y'all investigate, which I'm like, you're an idiot. It's a very choppy statement, but why he's telling the cops about Paulus's instructions is beyond me. And who is Cohen? Yeah, it's just, so it's, he says that to the cops, he says, "Yeah, my dad says to not talk on my cell phone while y'all investigate. Right. They're like, okay. Yeah. So I looked into Cohen and he's actually, he is friends with Yaron. He's actually from the States and his dad apparently does have a boat in Aruba. I won't drop his last name because there's never been proof that he's done anything, but it's very weird that mid statement, Yaron just drops Cohen's father has a boat. Then the very next day, Yaron changes the story yet again, says that Deepak and Satish dropped him off at the apartment at 1.40 a.m. and then they took Natalie home. He said he then calls Deepak at 3 a.m. to tell him he's home safe and asked if he, they dropped the girl off at the Holiday Inn, which is such bullshit. Why would you call your friend an hour and a half later after he yeah. dropped you off to say you're home safe? It just, yeah, no, next. He goes on to reiterate Paul's instructions to them. And it's just so stupid. I have to read it word for word. My father told us our, that our emails would be read and our cell phones would be bugged. He told us to get our story straight and then send emails. We should use the hard drive to nail an alibi. First, all three of us have to agree on the story and stick to it. Oh. If we keep calm and all our stories match, they'll let us go in 10 days. The fuck? Idiots. This is what he said during questioning. Thank you, Yaron. Well, I wonder if Paulus ever thought to say like, and do not tell anyone that I'm telling you this, or yeah. did he think it was just going with, going without saying, cause Yaron's oh an idiot. Oh my God. I know not that it did anything it didn't matter though I know. so he literally has a new statement and a new version of what happened every single day that he went back to his house with natalie had sex with her that she gave him a hand job at the beach and then he left her there just gross stories that her mother and father both have to hear hear about repeatedly but none, nothing is consistent except him saying that natalie keeps falling asleep and waking up the following day all the birmingham people have to go back And Beth, Dave, and their spouses are left again. But Greta Van Susteren has entered the chat. Oh, She is in Aruba, and she is helping Beth pass out missing person posters and prayer bracelets that people back home made and mailed to her. They stroll by the Vandersloot's home, and they see Paulus outside standing behind a bush like a coward. Oh, my God. So embarrassing. so embarrassing, but I remember the footage. Yeah, I do, too. And Beth oh, yeah. offers him a bracelet telling him she sees him behind the bush, <laughs> bad <laughs> like, having spot, your we invisibility you. isn't working. <laughs> Come out. You pussy. <laughs> As he slowly comes out of hiding, Greta picks up that camera and starts filming, but he Hell tells yeah. her to put it away. That's what I remember being like, uh, uh-uh. yeah. So he tells her to put it away and then surprisingly invites both of them inside. Mm-hmm. That said, had Greta not been there, she would not have gone inside by herself. Not, not alone with that monster. Fuck no. Yeah. When they get inside, they sit at the kitchen table with his wife and Yaron's mom, Anita, and she opens the conversation. That's on them how wonderful their son is, how smart he is, how hard this has been on him. She says he's a good boy, but lately he's been acting out, sneaking out at night and says he's been seeing a psychologist because of it, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's Beth's turn. And mm-hmm. she has no intentions of matching Anita's good boy comments with good girl comments of Natalie. Instead, she graphically repeats what Euron said about her daughter, calmer than she's ever been while down there. She repeats the underwear Euron said she was wearing, which fingers he said he put inside of her Ugh. daughter while she was falling in and out of consciousness. Gross. I don't know. Then goes on to tell every variation of the statements he's given police. While she's doing this, Paulus is visibly shaking and sweating. Beads of sweat making a pool on the table so badly that Anita goes and gets a towel and blots his forehead. And Beth turns to him and says, "You're responsible for Aruba being trapped in hell. You can change it, but Aruba will stay like this until you come forward." I mean, I've said it once. I've said it, I'll say it a million times. She is such a badass. I know, for real. And while he's in this weird state of mind, sweating and shaking as if he's about to break, she asks him how Yuron got home that night. He says he doesn't know. She asks if he went to school the next day. He says he doesn't know. So Greta steps in and says, your son is suspected of kidnap and murder and you can't recall his whereabouts of that day and reminds him it was only two weeks ago. But he stays silent because he's a sorry excuse for a human being. Mm. A few days later, Paulus is arrested and questioned after Rubin police caught him in a lie. He changed the story about the time he picked up Yaron that night, the night of May 30th. First, he said he picked, quote, them up at 4 a.m. at McDonald's who they are has never been confirmed. He doesn't know if, the, we don't know if he means Natalie and Yaron or Euron and Calpos. He later changed it to say he only picked Euron up at 11 p.m. May 29th, which is obviously bullshit because I think the bar closed at midnight on that Sunday and even Euron said he was with Natalie until last call. Yeah. Also, if that were the case, why wouldn't you just tell Beth that at the kitchen table? Yeah. You're a lying piece of shit. Shut up. <laughs> that week, Texas Search comes in. We've talked about them before. They're a search and rescue team run by Tim Miller, whose own daughter was murdered in the 80s. Um, they've solved over 240 cases and run solely off donations. So if you're looking to give back, give to them. They are fantastic. There's a Netflix documentary called Texas Killing Fields that he's on that, but his daughter's stories on it, all that. Me and Payne just like randomly started watching it, and I was like, uh. Oh, I think I've heard about this because in the 80s, there was like just young girl after young girl mm-hmm. being found in these remote fields. And Tim Miller's daughter was one of them. And he came on sc- the screen. I was like, oh, my God, that's Tim Miller. He's the I best. Knew, yeah. 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 yeah that, so they came down to Aruba. It's really good. Okay. I'll watch it. So they come down to Aruba pretty early on. However, they're not allowed to search everywhere on the island. There are some mansions up on a hill that have acres of property that police tell them they're... Those are either major drug lord homes or brothels for the elite, and they can't be bothered. That's so crazy. I don't know, like Jeffrey Epstein type, I guess. Yeah. Shady ass stuff. They can't even bring in their deep water search equipment. Again, they have to get approval from from Aruban authorities, and all they have to do is make that one phone call to give the nod, give the approval for their equipment being used, and they won't do it. So actually, Tom and his team get too fed up and they leave the island. Mm -hmm. And it's actually on this day, Beth's phone rings. She picks it up and hears a man on the other end say, Beth, hi, it's Brett Favre. Stop. (laughs) Like the Brett Favre. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure everyone listening knows who that is, but uh, international listeners might not, probably don't actually. He's a football legend. He was a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. He's a big deal. Yeah. And he's from Mississippi, which is probably the connection. Yeah. This is so batshit. He says he wants to help, and he heard from former President Bill Clinton that Euron had a Green Bay Packers poster in his room. It's kind of—it's like I'm telling you a dream. It really (laughs) is like. How did Bill Clinton know that? It's like the Easter Bunny called me and said the tooth fairy heard (laughs) Christmas uh, is in February this year. There's a treasure chest buried in the snow on Cinco de Mayo. Oh my God, you're giving me a headache. So Bill Clinton has apparently been in contact with agents on the island who told him that. So Brett Favre has offered to come down to the island and meet Yaron Vandersloot personally to see if he could have some impact on getting the truth out of him. Natalie's originally like beating from- beating Miss- it out of him? <laughs> like beating the fuck out of him. So Natalie is originally from Mississippi. She moved to Birmingham in eighth grade. Um, And Brett's from Mississippi. So he said he feels compelled to help in any way he can, which is what an angel. Mm -hmm. Before she can even get out how grateful she is, he tells her that I'll be there on Saturday and I'm going to also ask Yao Ming and Peyton Manning to come with me. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Yao Ming is a famous basketball player and Peyton Manning is another football player who is so much more than that. Let's just... Yeah. I won't get off topic, but he's just so freaking funny. Yeah, he is. She has no idea why he wants to bring them. She doesn't even ask. She is in. She says, like, hell yeah, let's do that. Yeah. The only thing he asks is that she doesn't tell the media. He addresses that Yao Ming, especially potentially being seen at the airport at a gate going to Aruba, will cause attention and be an issue, but they'll figure it out later. And I'm like, why?
1: Why he's are we very flying distinct. commercial?
0: Wow. Yeah, do you feel? y'all, you you 3 can figure it out. Yeah, fire up a J. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Oh my god! And like the media is gonna find out the second y'all your big toe steps in that airport. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Right, you are very distinct. Everyone knows your face. But a few days later, he calls back and says, due to management concerns, he does have to renege the offer, but she's not at all disappointed. She was so grateful that he even offered the idea of these legends wanting to help and everything to her. And I think later he called Matt Holloway and the joy it brought him was worth it, she said. Oh, that's yeah, that's tough. Mm hmm. At this point, local fourth and fifth graders in Aruba are helping making prayer bracelets for Natalie. Aww. I can't stress enough the community down there outside of the police force. July comes around and the calpos are released. Ugh. Everyone is shocked. The chief police, Vander Straten, just a few days before said that they keep changing their stories and the prosecutor said that she believes at least one of the brothers was involved in a sex crime against Natalie. So why the fuck are they walking free? yeah and they can go wherever they want so beth is not taking this lightly she calls a press conference into a room full of media makes a plea that if you followed the story i'm sure you remember it because it played over and over paraphrasing she says in a very shaking voice fighting back tears it is now time that i ask the world to help me two suspects were released yesterday who were involved in a violent crime against my daughter These criminals are now not only allowed to walk the streets of Aruba, but there are no limits to where they can travel. I'm asking mothers and fathers in all nations to hear my plea. Do not let the Calpo brothers enter your country until this case is solved. Do not allow these criminals to get away with this crime and the name of my beautiful daughter now, whom I have not seen in 36 days and for whom I will continue to search until I find her. And apparently There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Cameramen who have been there for the full month and have seen firsthand what the Twitties in the hallways are going through are crying. But it is this plea that lost all of her support from the locals in Aruba. They were pissed. She called two of their own criminals. She did not mean to offend them. She thought they were all on the same page, but it's that thing where they can call them criminals. But if a stranger says it, especially to the world, hell no. I mean, I can talk shit about you all I want, but growing up, when people constantly called you the mean one or the less attractive one. I was like, all right, guys, I see where you're coming from, but stop. That's so admirable of you. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. I yeah. want names. Who said that? No one. <laughs> oh my God, I heard it all the time. It's weird that they had that reaction because from Beth's point of view, they've lied to the police several times. They were the last ones seen with her. What did they want? What did they want her to say? I don't know. It's just like, calm oh, down. I do know. Like, I don't know, again, what the legal process, I do not understand that Naruba. In, in America, they would be criminals. <laughs> yeah. So they're criminals in our eyes. Um, And talk shit about a criminal in America all you want. I'll agree with you probably. Who- you strongly suspect, with reason, did something to your kid. Right.
1: Go for I, it. I mean,
0: I get it. I mean, Euron's on a different playing field. I will say that I think what than the CowPos. Oh yeah. They're not. They're not not on Euron's level. Oh of wrongdoing. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I know. But after all the rereading this, I'm like, why did y'all last so fucking much? Y'all. Yeah. I'm not convinced they weren't completely. Not oh, more. I know. I don't think that at all. They have worn out their welcome, and even the Holiday Inn says they've had it. They were generous in giving the Holloways and Twitties a free stay for the last six weeks, so oh. there are no hard feelings there at all. They're very grateful. And the Wyndham offers a reduced rate for them to stay in a suite, which is also very generous, and so they move there. Countless leads come in from all over, and bizarre discoveries really keep the media's attention, like blonde hairs found on duct tape or bones that were found, or the barrel that was found by a tourist scuba diving. I remember that one so well. Yeah, I remember that really well. Mm-hmm. None of them panned out, though, obviously. The gifts from people are piling up too. By the end of summer 2005, you could stick an envelope in the mailbox and simply set sa- that simply said Beth Holloway without an address and it would get to Aruba. How crazy oh, is that? God. in Birmingham, there was a fundraiser held at a local spot called Odie's. Hey. It's the, it's the bar everyone goes to when you're in town. So it's the local watering hole. Mm-hmm. It raised twenty. They raised twenty thousand dollars toward the reward money. Kids were having lemonade stands to raise money for a girl that who was quote lost and needed to come home. Oh my god! So freaking cute. Blockbuster even donated to the reward money. So that tells you, God, how many years has this has been? Oh my it's god! Insane. Yeah. Then Courtney Cox, who is from Birmingham and went to Mountain Brook High School reached out to Beth about putting an auction together. She gathered several items from various celebrities and it was held at this big event space downtown Birmingham. She wasn't there. She was actually in Canada filming a movie with Tim Allen, but she joined virtually. And there's a big screen where she spoke about Natalie and how, how hard this hits home for her. That event alone raised about uh, over a hundred thousand dollars. That's colleagues donated their vacation days. So she would still get a paycheck while being down there. And remember her son, Matt is still in Birmingham. He was going into his junior year and was working at a grocery store that summer and the tabloids featuring his sister made him physically sick. Cause keep <sighs> in mind more than more often than not, they were defamatory. It was like, Natalie is not the good girl she's made out to be in like articles of drug addiction and some <laughs> bullshit like that. So the managers took them all, all off the shelf. So he wouldn't have to look at them. Oh my God. The only time Beth comes back into town is to help Matt prepare for the school year. And anywhere she went, people just stare at her. I mean, I guess it'd be like seeing John Ramsey. Yeah. Jaminet's dad, people. And she does happen to date him later on down the road. But the rumors of them, I'll just address it now. The rumors of them getting engaged were not true. They met at a fundraiser, hit it off, dated, broke up. He's Mm -hmm. married to someone else now. John Ramsey is, just Mm FYI. But the recognition in public didn't stop with Beth. Later in the school year, me, Rachel, and Matt went to dinner one night, and a came a woman came up to him to offer condolences. And let me be clear, he has never done an interview. I don't think many, this was 2006, so I don't think many yeah. pictures of him were broadcasted at all. I have no idea how she knew him, but it was very fresh, and we didn't talk to him about Natalie at all ever. back then, ever. Literally but I remember when that woman came up and my stomach dropped. I, was I know. Like, oh my and when God. she walked away, remember how awkward it we didn't know how to pick up the conversation how how to like really? pick the conversation back up. Yeah. It was so awkward. And I have no idea how she knew him. Well, yeah, that's just small well, small ish town gossip. Yes. But just figure it out. Or some someone was like, That's Matt Holloway. Yeah. She was sweet though. She said Yeah, she was very sweet. I'm praying for your family. By the end of summer, Natalie's best friends had to go to college without her and her college roommate had to live alone. How awful and sad that would be to walk into your room every day. Like you see an empty bed and that's supposed to be one of your best friends. I just, yeah. Think. Oh God. And all of senior year, it was pretty much all we could talk about. Every night yeah. at dinner, we would watch the news as a family, watch Nancy Gray shit on your and Paulus. God bless her watch people we know being interviewed by CNN, Fox, ABC, all these huge networks. It was, it was really insane. Yeah. A gardener gave a sworn statement in front of a judge, prosecution, the defense, Yaron and the Calpos saying that he saw the three suspects near a pond at 2.30 a.m. on the night of May 30th and even gives specific details saying Yaron was driving, Deepak was in the passenger seat and Satish was in the back. Very detailed. The FBI is present for the sworn statement and said the Calpos are panicking. The FBI is later contacted by an unidentified Aruban woman who called them and said Deepak asked her to lie for him and give an alibi. They couldn't trace the calls between international towers, but they obviously notified the Aruban authorities. And with that, plus the sworn statement from the Gardner, the CalPOs are rearrested. It makes me wonder, like, Satish has not said a word. If, according to all these police documents I know that everyone, you're like, saying you really loop him in yeah when when you're saying Deepak and your aunt were lying I was like is Satish just like standing there yeah I guess mouth shut not saying a word yeah someone get him alone in a room right we'll start talking right and like Deepak asked this woman to give an alibi and Satish is arrested it's like Again, growing up that identical twin of one's in trouble, oh the other one God. gets it looped in immediately. Oh, 100%. Yeah. By uh, August 2005, things were looking very promising. And even the FBI is optimistic that the suspects will be brought to justice. Beth takes another trip back to Birmingham. And at this point, she won't leave the island unless someone is down there, quote, with Natalie, as she puts it. So friends and family offer to fly down there so she can fly back for a few days. One of the times she flies to Birmingham, then back to Aruba, she's at the front desk of the Wyndham when a guy comes up and tells her he needs some of Natalie's hair. He apparently has a divining rod mechanism that will find hair that he has to hair that's in the ground. She gives him a few strands from Natalie's hairbrush, and within 30 minutes, he says he's found her. She's in a four-foot lava rock, and he'll need a jackhammer to get through it. They know she's not in there. He just wanted the reward money. Once the reward reward money was increased, they got an average of 60 calls a day on the tip line saying shit like this. And anyone from psychics to people who claim they've been taking care of her in Venezuela was one. One even said she's teaching English somewhere. It's all over the place. Is it a a million dollars at this point? Yeah. Unheard of. A million dollar reward? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I remember like being, just talking about, about it with, you know, whoever in Birmingham and being like, I mean, people, people saying I didn't say this. I was like, y'all this is insane. I mean, a million dollars is a lot. But like, I think we could get it to 10. So like, like, as if that was not that much. I was like, you literally see $5,000 rewards. This was $1 million. Right? Whoa. Talk about a bubble. I know. We lived in quite a bubble. It is. September 1st, 2005, the court is asking for DNA from the three suspects and their attorneys are fighting it. Which, That sounds alone. I'm like, y'all just not, y'all are just not requesting DNA and why are <laughs> yeah. you fighting it? So it's crazy to me. Beth's new attorney, Helen, also needs to know what the name of Natalie's flip-flops are that she was wearing that night. They were rainbows, but authorities won't tell Helen why they're asking this. She's confident they must have found them in Euron's house or something. But only four hours later, they announce all three suspects are being released. And to be clear, Dutch interrogators are just as outraged as FBI, claiming this would never happen in Holland. So everyone but the defense is pissed. Aruba really has their own legal process and runs the show. It is very weird. I need an international attorney to really break this down for me. They didn't get DNA samples from the suspects when they were arrested in June. They can arrest anyone for lying to police, but changing your story 150 times doesn't necessarily qualify as lying. I just, yeah. And when someone straight up confesses to a crime, they need, quote, physical evidence before making an arrest. It's just all very strange and incredibly confusing and frustrating. Or maybe this is just how the law is applied to VanderSloots. I do mm. not know. Yeah. After hearing this, Beth's world crashes down again. She's in her hotel room in the corner sobbing. Completely defeated, and in this moment, the hotel maid comes in to change out the towels, but instead cries with Beth and starts begging God to help this poor lady. Oh, Oh my God. I'm just going to throw in all the kind moments, too, because I shit on the police in Aruba a lot, so I'm just Uh, going to uplift the locals. Totally. Downstairs, the Strategic Communications Task Force is holding a media meeting to give instructions for Saturday's release and says that there will be an imaginary line around the Vandersloot home, and if anyone crosses it, they'll be deported. They also increased network broadcasting licenses, which honestly, I don't know anything about, but apparently one CNN producer said what cost the network $400 in June was all of a sudden costing four times that, and it's essentially a way for Aruba to shut them out and get them off the island. Yeah. The judge initially told FBI and Dutch interrogators they would be released October 1st, but with media very focused on Hurricane Katrina, he decided to release them on September 3rd to avoid scrutiny, media scrutiny. For an island so worried about reputation, they sure have no problem screwing a victim's mother, I got to say. Yeah. And this is more evident when Beth finally gets her revised statement translated. The one that the, the detective interrupted their dinner to have her re because the dates were wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, she had been requesting for months for the translated version. And when she got it, she was shocked. They changed her words. Oh, my God. Her encounter of that first night at the Vandersloot's house was very detailed and very specific, very clearly describing the conversation she had with Paulus Vandersloot, naming him Paulus Vandersloot, and in her revised statement, it said that she had a conversation with an unknown man in glasses, removing any mention of Vandersloot's in general. Then prosecutor Karen Jansen found that they removed all the sexual content Yoran gave that night from their Reuben police statements. No mention about what Yoran said about Natalie's underwear. No mention of them making out in the backseat, nothing. Either they removed them themselves or the police that accompanied the Birmingham crew that night at the VanderSloots left that part out of the statements. So the judge never heard any of that to him or her. Yoran never admitted to being with Natalie. Oh my God. Just batshit. Like this is the shit we're dealing with. Yeah. We ain't in Kansas. No (laughs) matter. But they really underestimate the power of Beth, a mother scorn. She and Jug from the beginning said, if suspects walk, they're going to talk. They're going to tell the world what those three suspects said, how much they've lied, everything. And it just so happens that this is the exact moment Beth is scheduled to be on the Dr. Phil show. She runs it by the FBI and they tell her there are no rules anymore. No secrets. She can do whatever she wants, say whatever she wants, do it. Wow. She tells Dr. Phil the sexual explicit things on said about Natalie. She tells him that Deepak said in his statement that Paulus is helping them with an alibi. She tells him that her statement was changed. Dr. Phil is outraged and unexpectedly calls for a boycott against Aruba. He also showed a secret recording of a conversation between Deepak and a private investigator hired by the show, which later resulted in Dr. Phil being sued by the Calpos for allegedly altering the footage to make it look like they're involved. This case was eventually dismissed, though. Knowing this was about to air and everyone in Aruba would see what she said about the Allen and Dr. Phil's plea for a boycott, Beth knew that her time in Aruba was likely up at this point. I cannot imagine how hard that decision to finally leave the island was, but she fought fairly and by no means failed Natalie. And the fight's not over. She's just going to do it for, safely from her home state. The chief of police at the time was Gerald Dompig. He took over for former chief Vanderstraten. And prosecutor Karen Jensen contact Beth after the show airs and offered to have a meeting with her to go over the concerns of the investigation. So she so she gathers everything they went through that first 10 days, all the fuck ups, the botched job, the lies, puts them all in a letter to present in the meeting. The meeting never happens. Reports claim that it did happen. That's not true. Oh my Instead, God. Instead, the CEO of the Aruba Hotel and Tourism Association and other businesses on the island asked Beth for a meeting to discuss it, knowing that a boycott could really hurt them. And she presents the letter to them. Her brother comes with her and says, We've always had suspicions about the relationship between Paulus Van der Sloot and police chief van der Stratton. And there sure was, because the former chief of police, who was the only resource of information for the FBI and the hallways, the Twitties, the only the one who led the investigation is Euron's godfather. Oh yeah. Beth flat out says, Okay, so there was a full cover up, to which the CEO confirmed, yes. Yes, there was. My God. Even with that, Beth contacts a legislator in Alabama and asks them not to move forward with the boycott. She is still trying to play by their rules, give Aruba the opportunity to prove their justice system works, and to essentially fix all the shitty work they've done this far. But Aruba is still shutting the hallways out. They're also shutting out the uh, Alabama governor, Bob Raleigh. They won't take his calls or anyone else's. Then he receives a letter from the Department of Foreign Affairs in Aruba Stating that the chief prosecutor leading the leading the investigation and the general prosecutor are appointed by the kingdom government in the Hague. And because of separation of powers, the government of Aruba has no authority to intervene the, in the investigation. No authority.
1: She's and been their missing.
0: Yes. Yeah. She's been missing for five months at this point. And after all their begging and pleading for help, there's been zero mention of The Hague and not being able to assist in of in the investigation. No one pointed them in the right direction or explained this to them. Not the prime minister, not the Aruban attorneys that they've paid tens of thousands of dollars to, not the minister of justice. They all just sat there and watched them suffer. And I'll be honest, I really don't understand this part. Again, I need an international attorney. But to me, it makes it sound like this whole time, the Hague should have been running the investigation and Aruba is bowing out, wiping their hands of this. But after this Mm. point, it's not like the Hague steps in and takes over. No. Aruba still calls all the shots, so no. they may like, have to invite them too. I don't I, don't I asked know. my other sister, who's an event planner, that missed her <laughs> calling to go to law school. And she like, sent me this whole long email about, She I looked up the Netherlands, the everything. Um, she's kind of confused too. Uh, she says her understanding is that Aruba has jurisdiction over internal affairs, but the kingdom, AKA the Netherlands, governs all international affairs. And maybe this yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't either. And maybe a listener gets it. It'd be like like if someone went missing in Puerto Rico, I'm sure they do their own and they do what they will. But the US is like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want to speculate. But Beth and the Alabama governor are stunned and pissed. And with this, onward and upward with the boycott. Yep. Enough is enough. And this is their final attempt to get Aruba's attention and cooperation. So a group of us drove to Montgomery after school one day and watched Governor Raleigh sign the bill saying he believes Natalie's family has been patient with Aruba to a fault and the governor of Georgia and Arkansas follow suit. So we have three states that have boycotted Aruba. Beth hires international lawyer John Q. Kelly to help file a civil suit against Euron Vandersloot. And with that, there's almost no money left to fight for Natalie. She gets the opportunity to sit down with Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, who says she wants to help get FBI involved in this case and essentially figure out how to force their way into Aruba. In the meantime, Beth refocuses on what she can do to help move forward while still fighting for Natalie. She starts reaching out to other parents of missing children to offer help. In her book, she mentions that a young teacher in Osceola, Georgia, went missing in October and she goes to meet the family and help search for her. Oh my God. Of course, we all know... Now she's referring to Tara Grinstead, which was eventually a huge case. Thanks to Payne Lindsey's podcast, Up and Vanished. Back then, I think it was a huge case too, but I doubt everyone in the country would know who that is if it weren't for Up and Vanished podcast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She also attends a missing, missing persons conference sponsored by the Philadelphia City Council following the discovery of Latoya Figuera, a 24 year old pregnant mother who was murdered by her boyfriend. They found her a month after she was reported missing, and Beth met Latoya's father. From that convention, she met people who invited her to speak at her first high school that would start her countrywide tour to spread Natalie's story and talk about the importance and tips of safety when traveling. She started at the same high school that Julie Popovich attended in Columbus, Ohio. Julie went missing after getting in a car with a man her friends didn't recognize and was later found murdered. She learns how Natalie's story is only one of several that needs to be told. She meets a father, she meets with a father from Florida who happens to be a sheriff, and his son fell to his death in Cancun, Mexico. It was Father's Day when the sheriff got the call from a Mexican number, assuming it was his son, to wish him a happy Father's Day, and instead was given this horrible news. Oh no. I know. He told Beth he was powerless and trying to get help. There was no U.S. State Department representative available. There was no police report, no investigation, no medical procedures performed on his son. No paperwork of any kind except the one receipt he has for flying him back home. $28,000. Oh, my God. To this day, he has no idea what happened or how it happened. Oh, my God. Another woman reached out to Beth, who survived an attack at a a hotel in the Bahamas. An intruder broke into her room and brutally beat her up, breaking her jaw and several bones in her face. She managed to fight him off and run to the front desk, but they wouldn't call the police. Instead, she stayed in the lobby until her friend discovered her and made a scene asking for help. The intruder was a hotel bartender and was arrested for breaking breaking and entering. Nothing else. Oh, my God. I'm not trying to shit on other countries. I'm really not. I know authorities in America have their own problems, but we do have a false sense of security when traveling abroad and think that like we can just call the U.S. embassy and help will be on the way. But it does not always work like that. Yeah. In 2006, Beth goes to Holland to be on the Robert Jensen show where investigator reporter Peter DeVries, who also has a show in Holland that's the equivalent of America's Most Wanted here reveals that he's, found, he's done his own investigation and found several things in Natalie's case. First, he and his team found out that a secret meeting took place between Euron's lawyer and the prosecutor where Euron's lawyer said that Euron did in fact have a major role in Natalie's disappearance. Not a huge revelation 18 years later, but back then it was. Yeah. He also learned that the search warrant the police finally obtained after Euron's arrest was arranged by Ben King, a high ranking official of the prosecutor's office. When police got there to search, he actually answered the door and greeted them. There was no element of surprise. The Vandersleuts were more than prepared for this search. Also, the search warrant did, in fact, call for the entire entire property to be searched. Every building, the garden, the yard, everywhere. But when police got there, Judge Commissioner Bob Witt reportedly changed this warrant to only search Euron's little apartment. Oh, my God. This actually even frustrated some of the Aruban police because they apparently had clues that something of something happened to Natalie in the main house or the garden area. I'm sure there were a few good cops who just wanted this yeah. to be solved and over, and those, those cops, those good cops were pissed. Yeah. By 2007, 11 people were arrested and questioned in Natalie's case, but everyone eventually released. Aside from the original three, there were no viable suspects regardless any new fake lead or suspect being questioned stirs up the media interest again. And at this point we are in college where we we're still being talked about constantly. Mm-hmm. Matt sent us, remember when Matt sent us a huge bag of prayer bracelets and we passed them out to anyone who would have them or anyone. Yeah. who wanted them. Yeah. yeah. And some people were less sensitive than others calling her a whore or a dumbass. I mean, and I'd like to say we ignored those annoying comments, but we didn't. Uh, we'd argue that so hard. I mean, people were assholes. Even the senior year, we had a football, a Friday night football game and the opposing team, those stands were yelling, where's Natalie? Oh, I forgot about that. I'm like, y'all are like ruthless. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Dicks. People are dicks. Sadly, Beth and her husband, Jug, got divorced, which is very common during tragic events like this and her and Matt packed up everything, including Natalie's room, and moved out of their house. At this point, Beth knows it doesn't look good that Natalie is still alive, but she carried her and Natalie's passport with her at all times, just in case she gets a call from Aruba telling her they found her and she needs to come get her. Mm, That is so sad. That'll conclude our part two of Natalie's case. Hang in there, it only gets crazier.